Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Hey, if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter uh, 12 through 50. Just saying that because, you know, uh, I, I joked. I don't know how many of you guys got to see the, the midweek thing. I said, we're going to be doing an in-depth, verse-by-verse look at these 38 chapters together. But, uh, no, I do want to say just a, a word about the way we're doing this, this, o- this overview of the story that we find ourselves in. And... Um, yeah, I'm just prompted right now to pray for Ukraine. Let's just join me in praying for just pastoral, just burden here. Father, I, I do pray right now for Ukraine. Lord, I pray for peace there. I pray that you would stop, Lord, killing. Uh, that you'd stop the use of the things you've made us wise in with technology and things to now image bearers killing one another. Lord, have mercy and let your kingdom come. Let it be on earth like it is in heaven, Lord, without without murder, without killing, without war, without death. Uh, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven break in, Lord, and have mercy, God. Even as our brothers and sisters are trying to figure out ways of helping all different kinds of brothers and sisters around the world, reaching out, praying, we join with those prayers right now from all over the world. Bring peace in Ukraine in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay, just, uh, so uh, yeah, the series in a sentence. I I thought it would be helpful for us to just talk overview here again. Um, And so wrote a sentence down and just for this overview of what the series is about here, the story we find ourselves in is about learning to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus and how we as individuals and as a people fit into the story of God. So there's all these stories going on. And like I put the slide up last week, the story of God is the meta. It's it's the the big picture story of what God's doing. We want to connect all of our little sub stories. That could be, you know, I'm going to be famous one day, or I'm going to get an education, or I'm going to, my political party, or whatever your sub story is. Our, Our life as Texans, or whatever, Fort Worthians, you know. But it's our, our, our sub-stories need to connect to the larger story. Does that make sense? We want to make sure that whatever the sub-stories, they submit to the story of God. Um, and so that's a big deal. We want to read the Bible, even as we're going through this, with charity toward one another, not looking to get each other, but reading the Bible in a way to see what does it say as we look through the lens of Jesus? How does, what does this mean for our lives? So charitably and under the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're trying to do here. And I borrowed a little of this language from the Bible Project guys. Tim Mackey says, uh, we believe that the Bible is a unified story. I, I really like that. It's pulling all these pieces together, this library of literature over 1,600 years and 40 different authors. It's a unified story that is shaped by Jesus and points to Jesus. So that's just, that's great language. And our heart then is discipleship. 
That's, we want discipleship. We want discipleship to Jesus and being conformed to the image of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in the community of God together as the church. That's why we say our vision statement is to share and multiply the life of Christ in the church through new disciples and new life groups and new congregations and to the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. So in saying that, though, I'm also saying that this series, the whole thing is missional. Like God is a missional God. That's who he is in his identity and in his character. He is overflowing love that pours out on to his objects of affection and love, and that's people. So he, he loves us. He loves the good creation that he's made. He wants us to be stewards of it, to bear his image, and to walk in his authority, to share his life, and to multiply that life on the earth. We talked about that some last week. So uh, we're in this mission together, and that we would see ourselves in the story of God and live even in the light of the promise that he made to Abraham. So it's like this. God made this promise to this guy that we're looking at today, and then he's going to be the father of many nations. And so all these people come out of him, and then ultimately, Jesus is the one through whom that the blessing actually gets to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth blessed through him. And that story still continues with us. We're like in that line, in that story, and just all the, the people that are in Christ around the world is continuing that story and that mission and living that life out together. Does that make sense? Because it's just a good framing and way to say that because when we get into the depth of it and into the sub-stories within the story, it's like, oh, yeah, what am I doing? What, what are we doing? And it's like one famous comedian said that why, he's asking the question, why do they put the title of the book on every page of the book? That's, that's strange, right? But it's because when we're reading, we're like, oh, what am I reading? Oh, yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading. Oh, yeah. What am I reading again? Now, the reason I'm doing that is because we need to hear that. What we're talking about here is the story. What are we doing? What are we doing? The story we find ourselves in. What chapter is it today? Blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're doing. That was funnier in my mind than I thought it actually worked out to be. Tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> I'm just kidding, playing. Uh, man, it's good to be here. So what we've looked at so far then is the lens of Jesus. The triune, uh, the triune God creates Last week was the fall, right? Everybody remember? And, and go watch those things if you haven't, or listen to them, however you do that. But the, there's the Lord, it's a story. And we're unpacking this in some broad 30,000 foot sweeps here. But the, last week was, we talked about rebellion, murder, chaos, death, and Babel, and the, the human race being separated all over, the, all over the place. I did get to Jesus, by the way, that's... Um, which is really good news. So, uh, so what was God to do after all of that? And here we go. That's where we're getting to today. In fact, the way Athanasius asked that question in On the Incarnation, written in 335, he says, what was God being good to do? In light of all of that, that loss and that corruption, uh, what was God being good to do? And this is what he said in, in the Incarn on, on the Incarnation. As then, the creatures whom he had created reasonable, like the word, were in fact perishing, and such noble works were on the road to ruin, what, what, what then was God being good to do? What was God going to do about what he was watching happen with us? 
Was he to let corruption and death have their way with them? In that case, what was the use of having made them in the beginning? Surely it would have been better never to have create, been created at all, having been created, than to be neglected and perish. And besides that, such indifference to the ruin of his own work before his own very eyes would argue not the goodness in God, but limitation. And that being far more than if he'd never created men at all. It was impossible, therefore, that God should leave man to be carried off by his corruption because it would be unfitting and unworthy of himself. That's a great quote. So what was God being good to do? He's gonna save us. He's gonna save us. And he's gonna step into the history of humanity with a plan. So last week we finished with Babel. And then there's the story of 10 generations forward. And there's like the clock's really been moving fast. A couple thousand years of these generations, just boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden it slows down with God calling Abram. And Abraham is, is what he's ultimately renamed as the father of many nations. That, that, that means father. Sarah, adding that, uh, the, the, those additions to their names, father and mother of many nations. And so somehow, slowing down to Abraham, this one family represents us all. The fate of humanity is now being changed and God's intervening into humanity in the person, in the calling, and in the covenant that he makes with Abraham. It's really powerful. And so God starts a rescue plan, a restoration plan, a reconciliation plan, a redemption plan, and a renewal of all things plan. I ran out of R's, but you guys get the point. All those work. He had to start somewhere, and he started with Abraham and with his family. And Genesis 12 through 50 follows that story. So it's really a pretty tight outline. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So those are the, those are the 38 chapters in a sentence there really quick. And it's the big story. And it's made up of lots and lots of little stories within that. And it makes sense as a unified story in Jesus. It's shaped by Jesus and it's pointing to Jesus. And here's the main thing today is that God promises to bless Abraham so that all nations will be blessed. And we continue to live in that promise in Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. So that's the, that's the, that's the thing. So Paul even refers to this in Galatians chapter three, verse eight. In fact, I'll just read it off the screen. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So what we're looking at is actually a pre-announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. And again, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everyone's running to the scriptures to understand this. I mean, they're running. And so then Abraham plays a prominent role in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and the first letter of the New Testament, Galatians, and Hebrews, and then a minor role in all the other letters. So it's a big deal, what we're talking about, right? Everybody tracking? So here, again, here we go. Hearing the story through the lens of Jesus, and I do need to do a disclaimer here that some of this stuff is PG, 
13, maybe more. Just, just sorry, guys. Uh, just heads up. So I try to be as, I'll point you to it, but you can read it on your own. There's some crazy stuff about to happen here. Okay, so chapter one, let's look at Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And here is the promise and the call. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here we go. And all peoples on earth, all peoples, all the nations, all the ethnic groups of planet earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, you know, so you've got this story and you think this guy, his family, they're going to all have it together perfectly and just, they don't mess up and, and, and do sin stuff. And, but that's not the truth, is it? That's not the way it works at all. Actually, they show themselves to be very much human and very much like some of the stuff either that we've done, are doing, or will do, you know? And uh, so, so it's kind of messy at times. I mean, I, I think it's messy. Kim and I have been talking about this a lot. You know, if I was feeling fearful and insecure and I went into some place and I just didn't know what they were gonna do to me, should I go, here, take, take my wife? And she's like, you better not. <laughs> better not offer me up. And so, but Abraham, Abraham does that again and again, right? He even taught his son how to do it. It's like a generational thing. Here, take my wife. She's my sister, something. So that's going on. He does it Early on here with the Pharaoh of Egypt in chapter 12, he does it also in chapter 20 with Abimelech. In Genesis 14, Abraham rescues his uh, nephew Lot, who's kind of landed in Sodom, and they get taken over by some other kings, and then Lot and his family gets carried off kind of as plunder to war. And so Abraham and, his fam and his, uh, his, the male guys in his house, they go after these kings, and they end up setting them free and overcoming those kings. And they meet this guy on the way back named Melchizedek, and, which is really interesting. In Hebrews, you see like, whoa, this Melchizedek, this is almost like God appearing in the Old Testament, the, prof, the prophet, the priest. And uh, so, so th there's these incredible connections. You can look at that in more detail. Then in Genesis chapter 15, I, I wanna, this is the longest reading I'm gonna do this morning, but I do want us to read through uh, the big, big chunk of 15 here, because this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. This is a big deal. So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, then Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is, in your, who is of your own flesh and flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
Then he said to, the, to him, so shall your offspring be. Just imagine the scene. Yeah, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain the possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. I was talking with Kim yesterday. I was, I was like, there's just not many times where that phrase fits, you know? <laughs> it's kind of a random thought. Bring me a heifer. But that's what God said to him. Bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged them in opposite halves. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said, know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. And when the darkness had set, excuse me, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and these different people groups there. And again, this is the word of the Lord and we give thanks for that. So what's going on here is a covenant. Abraham doesn't have children yet. He's going, how can this happen? I'm gonna be the father of many nations, but I don't have any children yet. And one of the things that we see is that time is passing, and I think this is important for us to get a sense of. That God makes a promise, but it doesn't always just happen like the way we want it to. You know, I got this promise when I was 18. It hadn't happened yet. I'm 22. I'm 30. I'm 35. I'm gonna stop pointing around the room. I'm 40. I'm 45, right, keep going, yeah. And so I've got this promise. And the thing I wanna say about a covenant, and this is really important for us to get here, is that God is faithful to his covenant, his promise. So what happens there, the way a covenant would be done is that very process would happen where they cut some animals in half and you walk through it and maybe you're making a treaty and you say, may it be to me as it is to these animals if I violate this treaty. So that's, that's the idea that's going on there. And so Abram is in a deep sleep and God does the covenant. The smoking fire pot, pot goes through the animals and it's a way of saying, may it be to me if I don't keep this covenant. Now that is very different than a lot of our framework where we think contract. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. A covenant is like marriage, you know, I give myself to you. I'm gonna keep this promise, okay? That's different than a contract is you do these things, I'll do these things, and if you mess up, then the contract's null and void. 
That's different than a covenant. A covenant is God saying, I'm gonna do this, and I'm not even, like Abraham didn't walk through the, through the animals. So it's a unilateral covenant by God with us, with his people. And so God, and this is one of the things you see over and over again as this is unpacked in the New Testament, is that God is faithful to his covenant promise. Even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. He won't break his promise. He can be trusted to keep his promise. It's such good news. Now, there's, there's other things that God is asking Abram to do. He wants his whole life. He wants him to follow him and obey him and do what he says. But it's the fact that Abram trusted God was what was credited to him as righteousness. And so it's this incredible promise and it's one of the key covenants of Scripture. So you've got the Noah covenant. God says he won't destroy the earth anymore. Doesn't ask Noah to do anything. You've got the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, so God says, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fulfill this promise in you. And he makes another covenant where Abram responds this time and with the covenant of circumcision with, with, uh, with uh, Abraham. But then roll the clock forward. Like next week, we're gonna be talking about God's covenant with Israel to mark them off as his people. And so that he can work through this people to ultimately reveal the sending of his son, Jesus. And then there's a covenant with David, King David, that through your offspring, through your family, I'm going to raise up a king and his throne will never, ever go away. It will be forever and ever. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And you'll always have that son on the throne. And so then the covenant of Jesus, the new covenant actually happens then when Jesus comes. So again, those are some big, those are some big hooks that, I don't know if that's the right picture, but just things that we need to remember to, to, to hang things on, these covenants that are happening. And again, I, just to not overdo the, the, the model, uh, like we're learning from them, but they're human. They're human. So, you know, again, it takes time. It hasn't happened yet. Abraham and Sarah are getting nervous. They have never had any kids. And so Sarah comes up with a great idea, right? Here's Hagar, you know, my handmaid, take her and we'll start a family through her. Abraham was good with that and, and he, that's how, you hear the phrase an Ishmael from time to time and what that means is what's code for we took things into our own hands. And God still, Abraham interceded for Ishmael and God still blessed him and became a leader of many nations himself. But, you know, it's a messy story. I mean, you know, nowadays, uh, <laughs> I, you might even call that trafficking in a way. Uh, you know, just someone here, you have to go be with this guy in order to have children. For me, that's, there's, it's like when we really unpack that, it's not, it's not all just the way things ought to be. That's the way I would say that. And so Hagar ultimately leaves. God blesses her and takes care of her, the God who sees me. Uh, in Genesis 22, Abra Abraham is tested and is told to sacrifice his son. And it's a testing. Testings are hard in our lives. Um, but I, I do want to just emphasize, like, God's not into child sacrifice. And he says it explicitly in Jeremiah. That thought never entered my mind. It's something you're doing with Molech, but it, that thought never entered my mind. And he has Abram stop and provides a ram 
for uh, the sacrifice there on the mountain. And God it sees that Abraham's heart is right for him. So that's Abraham and Sarah. On to Isaac and Rebekah. God makes the same promise to uh, Isaac as well. Isaac also offers his wife to Abimelech in Genesis 26. But God gives the promise to Abraham, excuse me, to Isaac. And they have twin sons named Esau and Jacob, right? And Re uh, Rebekah gets a promise from the Lord that the older is going to serve the younger. I don't know how all of that fits into what happens, but there's a lot of deceit that happens around the birthright and the blessing that is promised and given to uh, Jacob instead of Esau. And so Jacob, and I'll get to this in a second, but he, his name means deceiver. I was looking up my own name this morning. I, I, I wanted to know, uh, I wanted to know what my name meant. And actually James, James comes from Jacob. And I was like, oh man, bummer. I wanted a cooler subplanter or something like that. So it, uh, somebody else probably has a really cool, Dean probably means something really cool. I was, sure. I was like, oh, shoot. Um, but here's the thing. I, I do want to say something about blessing. So Jacob deceives his blind father into thinking that he is Esau instead of Esau. And I, uh, yeah, Isaac blesses him. And uh, Esau comes back. And Esau, this is Genesis, uh, I forget the exact chapter. Somebody have the chapter handy. Um, but uh, Isaac, Isaac blesses Jacob, and he doesn't have a blessing for Esau. And twice in that little chapter, he goes, bless me too, my father. Bless me too, my father. And I just want to say that that longing is the longing of all of our hearts to have the Father's blessing flowing into our lives. I was texting with Matthew. I was, my son, I was, he's in Austin, if you're, um, but I, I, I remembered a story, and you guys, some of you guys may have heard this, but uh, we used to speak a blessing over our kids at the table. We'd read scripture together, and I would literally walk around, may the Lord bless you, may his favor be upon you, and lay my hands on their head and bless them in that way. And we were just seeing the blessing. We were seeing the power of it. And Don Fento, my dad and the Lord, was there at the breakfast table with us one morning. And I had blessed Emily. She got the blessing. But I didn't bless Matthew that day. And so he's like a year. He's walking, but he can't talk. And so I'm standing there talking with Don. And I feel this little hand grab my hand. And he puts it on top of his head. And looks up at me and goes, uh, uh, uh. bless me too, my father. So what he was saying, I was texting him this morning. You remember that, buddy? Uh, you know, just, and I blessed him. You mighty man of God, in the name of Jesus, walk in all that God has for you. Be the steward of what he's given you. And be a life-changing presence, you know, in the world. So, and always treasure Jesus. So then the next chapter is Jacob. So I've been doing Sarah, Rebecca. And this one gets a different title. It's Jacob and his wives. And uh, there's, some, there's some dysfunction in the family uh, as the family grows. So Jacob means deceiver, gets the birthright for a bowl of soup, 
then actually deceives his blind father into giving him the blessing, which we were just talking about. Esau then wants to kill him, and he runs for his life to his uncle Laban. Y'all remember the story? So that's kind of what's going on on the storyline. And Jacob flees to his uncle Laban, and now Jacob, well, on the way, he has a dream at Bethel, the, the stairway to heaven, kind of the, the, the ladder going up and down. And, and when you read that through the lens of Jesus, you realize that's exactly what Jesus was pointing to in the story of Nathan, uh, Nathaniel, and says, you're going to see even greater things than this. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is, he is the, the connection between heaven and earth. That's who Jesus is in the flesh. Jacob has a dream about it. And uh, then he gets on to Laban. And at Laban's house, Jacob kind of meets his match. <laughs> right? I mean, the Laban man, he's like, I mean, he's going to give him the business. And so Jacob works seven years to marry Rachel. She's very beautiful to him. And so he works seven years for Rachel. And then because it was the custom, that goes in, it's wedding night and all that. And he wakes up and it's it's Leah, it's the older sister. And Laban says, hey, that's just the way we do it here in these parts. And uh, you get the older one before you get the young. And he goes, well, okay, I'll work seven more years, but I want Rachel. And so he says, okay, we'll do it, but you have to wait a week before you can get Rachel. So he waits a week, has to work seven more years, waits a week, and then gets married to Rachel. Now, can I just lay this out here? We've got a full-fledged recipe for dysfunction, Sibling rivalry, sister, you know, just whatever that looks like, you know, and it's, it's on, man. And so lots of, lots of weirdness happening there. So Leah gets pregnant, starts having uh, kids. Rachel's jealous, so she gives her handmaid, Bilhah, I think, to, uh, to, 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 uh, to Jacob. He's like, okay, let's do this. And, sorry, my daughter's going, <laughs> telling the story. And so, so, then, uh, so, so then Bilhah starts having kids, and then Rachel, uh, Leah gets jealous, and she gives Zilpah, her handmaid, to Jacob, and they start having more kids. And so it's a long time. So there's so much dysfunction in that. I'm the, like my counselor, mentor here, Laura, just like, like in the family system kind of frame of things, like there's some messed up stuff happening. You for sure got, it's tit for tat stuff. There's rivalry going on. I was reading this morning, uh, it was uh, uh, Leah, Leah, I should have had all these references, but Leah said, uh, the Lord has given me victory over my sister, that's the name of this, your name's Naphtali, because the Lord has given me victory over my sister and I've won. I, that's when I looked up my name. I just now remembered. I, I looked up my name right then. I was like, I wonder what my name means. Like, can you imagine what, what hey, I'm Naphtali. Oh, the Lord gave, gave your mom victory over her sister. That's, his, that's what his name means. Isn't that crazy? So, uh, wow, I'm just trying to paint the picture here. So 12 sons are born in the midst of this. Rachel finally is able to have a baby. And she has Joseph, who becomes then Jacob's favorite, right? Becomes his favorite. And then Benjamin. And so, man, what a mixture. I mean, that's the 12 tribes of Israel. 
That's how all of that happened. So it's, it's intense. He finally gets away from Laban. Laban changes his wages 10 times. J- Jacob, whatever he does, keeps being, it just keeps exploding with, with favor from the Lord. And they finally leave, and on the way back down to the promised land, uh, Jacob has an encounter with the Lord where he wrestles with God. I think this is Genesis 32. He wrestles with God, and God touches. He was like, I won't let go until you bless me. There's that blessing thing again. But, but Jacob had been pretty kind of prideful. I guess the, the, the way I'd want to say this is when the Lord touches us and he limps for the rest of his life, takes his hip out of socket, and so he has a limp. And then he changes his name from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, wrestles with God. So that's how all of that happens. And then as a result of that touch from the Lord, I just want to encourage us because it's in our brokenness that we're actually, that's, the, that's why we're safe. You know, it's, it's, it's it, the shiny porcelain, you know, exterior and everything's always just perfect and right doesn't allow the Lord to kind of be seen in our life. It's in our broken places that the life of the Lord shines out. It's, you know, and that's for all of us, you guys. I just want to, like, every story that we're going through, and it's, it, I'm, you know, if you think I've got it all together, then stop that. <laughs> You're just a brother. You know, I, I know that, but I'm just, I'm in it. I just like, oh, I didn't think that. I, I didn't do that. I just, Lord, have mercy. You know, I love singing you know, you're waking up my soul with thankfulness. New mercies. It seemed like we sung about new mercies and waking up to the goodness of God a lot today. And we need that. So, uh, yeah, that's the point about Peniel. The last little piece there is Joseph and his brothers. So Joseph is, that story basically runs from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. And Joseph is the favorite son, colored, you know, the coat of many colors. He's got a you know, special clothes, make him stand out from his brothers and make them jealous, not to mention all of the other family system stuff that's going on. Throw that all into the mix, and Joseph becomes the focal point of a lot of anger in the family. And so they, uh, they ultimately, they're, they're going to kill him. Then they decide not to kill him. One of the brothers intervenes. They decide not to kill him, but just to sell him into slavery. And so he's sold to Egyptian merchants that goes down into Egypt. They lie to their father, put blood on his coat, and say that he was killed by animals. You know, it's a pretty horrendous thing. But down there, the dreams that he had start to be fulfilled. Not not quickly. Again, it's over time, right? He goes into Potiphar's house. He's ultimately accused of stuff there. Gets put into prison with the butcher and the baker, and he interprets their dreams And ultimately, he rises to be second in command in Egypt. He's got a tremendous, I must have some incredible skills, not to mention the fact that he's got this interpretive gift from the Lord. He walks in the favor of God, has all these crazy adventures, and then his brothers come and do exactly what his dream said they would do. And that is all of them bowing down before him. They're all bowing down before him. And he ultimately reveals himself Turn to Genesis 50, verse 20. 
He reveals himself to them with tears. The whole family gets brought down there to Egypt and then given the land of Goshen within Egypt. And Joseph in verse 19 and verse 20, don't be afraid. He says to them, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so the way that, the way all that unfolded was Joseph, there was seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and they are coming to him after all of this stuff's been stored up. The whole world basically is, that part of the world is coming to him, and it just even further enriches uh, Pharaoh, but his family comes and said, the thing that you intended for harm has actually worked out to be good in my life. And so... Uh, so it's like the, the Hebrew word for evil, uh, for bad, for harm, is ra. And the Hebrew word for good is tov. So you intended ra. It actually sounds kind of ra. It sounds, but God intended tov. He intended it for good. And God is always in this story that we're going to be looking at, continuing to look at. He's working tov. He's working for the good of people. And the question then is, will the humans join God in his good plan for us, or will we rebel against him? And it makes it hard on us, on our souls, emotionally, when we do that. And the story continues. This story that we're just talking about, going through the patriarchs here, is critical for understanding the New Testament. It, it, it really is. It's, it's critical just from the from the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. You know, it becomes a critical story for understanding what is going on here. And you, you, uh, we need to read the story. We need to be familiar with the story of God so that we can understand how do we fit into this? It would be like, it'd be like watching Star Wars, right? So you're watching Star Wars, but you don't start with a new hope. Number four, Right? Any Star Wars guys? Instead, you start with number five, the Empire Strikes Back. Okay? So you could kind of fit, you could watch Empire Strikes Back in the. You could kind of figure out what's going on in the Empire Strikes Back, but you would totally miss out a lot of the character development. Help me, Obi Wan. You're my only hope. Help me, Obi Wan. You're my only hope. You know? You, you would miss the character development. I think it makes sense. It's an illustration of Leah and Luke and uh, Han Solo. I mean, you'd think Han Solo's a pretty cool guy, but you wouldn't know all the story in five that came from four. Make sense? And so, this works as an illustration. And so that's why <laughs> you need to read the Bible. Amen. That's, I've got bigger reasons than that, but I'm trying to make the point here. Uh, so, so let's roll the clock forward. And I really, I'm going to read a sermon to you. You're like, oh, I thought this was already a sermon. I'm going to read a sermon. To you. I'm going to read the second sermon preached in the book of Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26, and you'll see why 
it's so important to, to know the story. So in the second sermon ever preached, all of this is going to get referred to. So, uh, so Peter and John heal this guy at the gate beautiful. He's crippled for 38 years, never walked. He thinks he's begging, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he heals the guy, and he's, what's he doing? Yeah, that's it. Jumping and leaping and praising God. That means nothing to you if you ever never went to Sunday school. But if you did, then you know that song. And uh, so, so uh, while this man, this guy, held on to Peter and John, this is verse 11 of Acts 3. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses. We are witnesses of this. Eyewitness recorded. Ah, I love it. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has made him completely healed, as you can now all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him. He's there in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. It's a great word for us right now. Listen to Jesus. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Man, it's good news, isn't it? So, so this plan that God has been working all this time after the resurrection, Peter's able to say, this is God, this is that. This is the very plan that God's been working all of this time. And now turn to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Turn from the ways of your living and turn to God's ways. Listen to him and what he says and obey him and follow him. A couple takeaways. I'm just, I'm wrapping it up. A couple takeaways. One is 
time is maybe a little different with God. Like sometimes things are just gonna take some time. You know, I'm, Mark's shaking his head right now at me, but we've been through a lot in the last 25 years. You know, we've been through a lot, ups and downs and trials and the Lord meeting us again and again and again. The Lord taking care of us and providing for us and helping us. And sometimes those promises that he makes to have, for us to have influence or whatever, um, you know, it's, it just takes time. It takes some seasoning. It takes, I, I don't, I'm not saying it can't happen right now, but a lot of times the, the delays aren't what we think. And the Lord's just deepening his work and his trust in our own lives. So it takes time. And another one is that God is working through humans. That's just a great takeaway for me. He's, he's working through people that are, just don't have it all together. And that's, that's good news. Just a little hand, give me a little short. You don't have to be real like bold. There's some big ones. But he's working through humans. And all the fears and the manipulations and the pride and the lying, different kinds of addictions and things, places where we've blown it, messed up, and there's been grace. Grace again and again and again. He's working through us, not somebody else. He's working through us, just people, just, just people like us. And he's working through us, not just for us, but for others, for the world around us. He's blessed us to be a blessing. So that promise that he gave to Abraham that all nations are going to be blessed, you know, all those people, and then ultimately Jesus comes, and then we're in that same train and flow of what God's doing, and we get to be that conduit of blessing to the world around us. Isn't that good news? Man, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for that. We are for the sake of the world in spite of us. We are for the sake of the world in spite of us. And I, somebody may need to hear that this morning. We're wrapping this up, but... You are for the sake of the world. And it's not all based on how you, you know, did you get it all right? Did you fulfill the contract? God is faithful even when we're faithless. So, so Paul says it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. I, I was included in him. And I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live in the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living, my faith is in his faithfulness, not even how much faith do I have, but it's in the goodness of God. It's in the faithfulness of God. Amen. Stand up. Worship team, come on up. Ministry team, come up. I, I want us to respond to this word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said that repentance isn't just like you're on a train and you're riding along and you start, okay, I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna, turn, I'm gonna turn and go the other way. It's not just going the other way while you're on a train that's going the wrong direction. You actually have to get off the train and then start walking in a new direction. And so there may be some like, there may be some train stuff that we need to get off of this morning. Peter's like, repent, turn to God, listen to Jesus, put your faith in him. He's the one who's done it. And, you know, I, I hear this, you know, but part of the ways this gets worked out is that this good news gets worked out in healing. 
healing from the past, healing from our brokenness, healing in the midst. I mean, even the the healing of this, this guy that was wounded and broken all of his life in a moment, Jesus heals him. So that's, that's good news. But the, the piece that I, you may need a blessing this morning. If there's somebody that needs to hear the word of blessing, just to have somebody lay hands on, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Kim was telling me one of the most powerful things about this latest women's retreat was just blessing people. Just women coming up and she was, others were doing it too. But just if you need to hear that word of blessing, I bless you to treasure Jesus Christ with all of your life and love and heart and all that you are. Whatever your need is this morning, again, I know people come with different kinds of prayer needs, but but come. Don't leave without getting prayer if you need it. And let's give our lives to him this morning. Amen. Come. Let's, Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Father, meet us today in this moment. Lord, you know the needs of our hearts. Meet us here. Jesus' name. I'm going to take a few minutes, press into the Lord, get prayer. Front fills up, get prayer from somebody else out there. Be bold. Go for it. Now listen to the Lord right now. What is? How does the Lord want you to respond to the story of God that you're hearing this morning? Joy to thank you, God we thank you. 